Mark chapter 8 verse 27. This is God's word. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. We end our reading there at the end of chapter 8. Today, folks, we're beginning a new series in the book of Mark. And we've looked at Mark before and we covered the first eight chapters this time last year from January to June. And so we're returning to Mark and we're going to try and finish the book, the chapters uh, 9 to 16 by June this year. Mark is all about Jesus. There's a clear structure in the book based around the identity and mission of Jesus. If this book, Mark, was a mountain, there would be a climb up in the first eight chapters, and we've looked at those last year, and they are mostly about the identity of Jesus. And then the journey that we're taking this year from chapter 9 through to 16 is about the mission of Jesus, why he came into the world. Mark has spent the first half of the book laying out reasons why we should trust Jesus. He wants to convince us that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And then the second half of the book is teaching us what it means to trust in Jesus. What Jesus has done for us and and what that means for us today. Along the journey up the mountain to the end of chapter 8 and then down from chapter 9 to Jerusalem and the cross. All the way Mark is challenging us. He lays a challenge before us very clearly if Jesus is who he said he is and Jesus did what he came to do what are you going to do about it that's the challenge are you going to follow him or are you going to reject him and friends there's no room left for any middle ground either you are following Jesus and he is lord and savior or you're rejecting him and choosing for yourself 
death and hell. We're not going to start into chapter 9 today. Instead, we're going to do a recap. And as I said, we're, we're going to take in the first eight chapters. And, and you've heard some of this before. Uh, but it was a year ago, in fact, a year ago to the day. So it does no harm to have a quick reminder. It's pretty well agreed that Mark was written by John Mark. We read about John Mark in other parts of the New Testament. He was a believer from Jerusalem. His mother owned a house there and the early church often gathered in her house. He was a cousin of Barnabas and accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their early missionary journeys. In fact, it was actually a disagreement over John Mark that caused Barnabas and Paul to part ways. Well, eventually Mark found his way to Rome and in Rome he was mentored by the Apostle Peter. And it's well accepted that while Mark wrote it down, most of his first-hand information came from Peter himself. Mark is one of the earliest of the four, sorry, it is the earliest of the four Gospels. And it was probably written sometime slightly before 70 AD. Initially it was written to Christians living in Rome. But the fact that we have it and we've read it today means its reach clearly went beyond Rome. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. And like I say, there is a clear structure based upon the identity and mission of Jesus. And we'll see that structure as, as we read through it. Something else that would be helpful to know, and if you decide to, to read Mark all at once, and again, I encourage you to do this uh, this time last year, I would encourage you to read Mark, to, to read it from start to finish, if you were to sit down and do that, it would take you about half an hour. Maybe we don't have half an hour. You could read it in sort of uh, five-minute sections over the next week. And what you'll notice is that the word immediately comes up over and over again. Immediately is Mark's way of moving the story along. And it kind of gives a, a sense of urgency to the book. Mark is taking us somewhere and he wants to get us there quickly. He wants to get us to the cross. He wants to take us to Calvary. He wants to take us to the reason that Jesus came into the world. We shouldn't think of Mark as a traditional biography. It doesn't have one event following the other in time. It's not chronological. And that can make it a wee bit confusing. So I think I said last year, it's better to think of this as like a slideshow. Or imagine somebody coming back from their holidays and showing you their pictures. The, each picture would, would bring a new memory to their mind and they would tell you a story about that picture. But it doesn't mean they happened in that order. So we're not worrying too much about the order in which things happen in Mark's gospel. But what we do notice is that Mark puts all of the stories together to fulfill his purpose in writing. And his purpose is very, very clear. In chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark is planning to write a gospel. The word gospel, we use it to describe Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but that's not what it always meant. Translated into English, gospel means good news. 
And it could have been used at the time that Mark was written to describe good news about all sorts of things. The birth of a child. Victory in a battle. But here, Mark uses it to let us know that he wants to tell us something about Jesus. He wants to make an announcement about Jesus, which is good news. And his announcement is the two titles that he gives Jesus. He gives Jesus two titles in the opening verse, and they're both important. The first is Christ, the Greek word which comes from the Hebrew Messiah. And this is a title for Jesus to demonstrate that he is the one that the Old Testament scriptures speak about. He is God's promised rescuer. The second title is Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And here Mark wants us to know that Jesus is not a mere human rescuer. He is God himself. Come in the flesh to rescue us. And over the course of the first eight chapters we're given lots of evidence. And it's our job to put that evidence together and see that Jesus is exactly who Mark says he is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Now there are three areas that I want to highlight for us as we recap the first eight chapters of the book. There's the authority of Jesus. There is opposition to Jesus. And finally, the challenge from Jesus. Begin with the authority of Jesus. Mark uses this to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He, he shows us some of the things that Jesus did in his life here on earth. Jesus walked around this world as if he owned the place. That's how Jesus acted when he was here on earth. And the reason he was able to do that is because he does own the place. Whenever we worked through the first eight chapters of Mark this time last year, we saw Jesus demonstrate his authority as the God of the universe who made the heavens and the earth. He showed his authority as a teacher. He was able to, to sway and convince large crowds of people. The crowds remarked in chapter 1 that Jesus taught as one with authority. And they found that remarkable because Jesus wasn't appealing to something else. He wasn't appealing to another authority outside of himself. Like whenever I stand here in this pulpit, I teach under the authority of the Bible. I'm not telling you my opinion. I'm telling you what the Bible says. I have no authority, but the Bible has authority. Whenever the experts come on our television screens, they tell us about COVID. What do they appeal to? They talk about the science and the numbers. They, they talk about authority beyond themselves. Even the fact that we refer to them as experts is an appeal to the authority that lies within their education. In the days of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees taught with the authority of the tradition they had. But Jesus is different. The crowds find Jesus remarkable because he teaches with an authority that comes from himself. And the reason Jesus can do that is he is the one who made all things. Jesus knows how the world works, not because he read it in a book, but because he made it. 
Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the word of God. So Mark wants us to see who Jesus is. And Jesus himself says that he came to preach. In chapter 1 verse 38, Jesus tells the disciples his purpose is to preach. His mission is to preach and teach the gospel of grace. So he has this authority in teaching. But people still would ask, why listen to him? Why listen to Jesus? And so in order to demonstrate his authority in teaching, in the first eight chapters, what we see is Jesus exercise authority and power over the physical and spiritual world. He demonstrated his authority over the world he had made by commanding demons to come out of people. By commanding the weather with his words. The weather obeyed him. He commanded sickness to leave people. He healed deaf and blind and sick and lame people. And sometimes it was with no more than a word. And sometimes it wasn't even that. Each healing miracle in the book of Mark is different. It shows us a slightly different aspect of the authority of Jesus. But the point is this. Jesus walked this earth as if he owned the place. And that's Mark's point. This is the God of creation. The one who made the sun, the moon and the stars. The one who made the earth. And he's walking among us. That's what Mark wants us to know. He's saying you should definitely, definitely listen to this guy. That's why there are miracles recorded in the Gospels. So that we know who Jesus is. But you know as well as I do that his teaching wasn't accepted by all people. And throughout the book of Mark we see opposition to Jesus. It comes initially from some demons at the start of Mark's gospel, but then mainly the opposition to Jesus comes from the religious establishment. And for various reasons, I think mostly to do with power, they oppose the teaching of Jesus. From Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, they begin plotting to destroy Jesus. How can we destroy him? And there are many encounters throughout the book, and we'll read about more in the weeks to come, that show the Pharisees trying to pick apart Jesus' arguments, trying to pick apart his teaching, and they try to undermine his authority, and they attack him personally. They even accuse him of having some kind of demonic power himself. And we know where this opposition leads. It leads to the cross. But throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus is happy to engage with the Pharisees. He's happy to answer their questions because he knows he is right. Jesus is truth with a capital T. The religious leaders, you see, are, are men who think themselves to be righteous because of how they look on the outside. But Jesus is preaching a gospel of grace which teaches that our righteous acts can never be righteous enough. Jesus teaches that we're sinful on the inside. 
And so we might appear clean on the outside, but Jesus confronts that. He confronts the teaching of the Pharisees in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you see, the righteous, sorry, the religious establishment are people who think themselves to be righteous. They think that they have it all figured out. They, They seem good on the outside. But inside, they're sinful and depraved, just like everybody else. And so Jesus teaches he came to call sinners to repentance. And they won't listen because they don't think they're sinners. They think they have all the answers. They reject and oppose Jesus. They don't think they need him. They think they're okay on their own. They're like people who don't know they have cancer. They might look well on the outside, but inside they're dying. Jesus came for a people who are willing to say, I'm sick. I'm sinful. I need salvation. That's why we see Jesus associating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus comes to people who know they need a saviour. So that leads us to our final point today. The challenge There's a challenge from Jesus. Mark leaves us with a question. And at the end of chapter 8, it's it's laid out really explicitly for us. It was our scripture reading today. Let me remind you, verses 27 to 29 of chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered John the Baptist. But some say Elijah and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's the big challenge of Mark's gospel. Who do you say Jesus is? The authority of Jesus has been demonstrated. We should realise that he is to be listened to. He's the one who controls this world. He made it. He knows how it works best. Are you going to listen to him? Will you accept him as your saviour? Do you realise you're sinful? Will you allow him to be lord of your life? The Pharisees rejected him. They opposed him and wouldn't accept his authority. Maybe you're like the Pharisees today. Do you think you have the ability to save yourself? To make yourself righteous in the sight of God? Do you have the the power within yourself to remove the cancer of sin from your own heart? I would suggest that, like the Pharisees, there are many of us, and I include myself in this, we can be good at looking sinless on the outside, but inside we are riddled with sin. We do things, we say things, we think things that are far from God's standard. We can maybe pretend pretty well on a Sunday. 
But let me assure you that simply being here on a Sunday, that's something the Pharisees would have done. The Pharisees certainly would have been here on a Sunday, but their hearts weren't changed at all. It's possible to be here and still reject Jesus. There are other people in this gospel who follow Jesus, but they follow him for the wrong reasons. There are people who follow Jesus for what they can get out of it. They were maybe after healing from some sickness or another. Maybe they were after the bread that Jesus could provide for them, and we saw him do that, feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000. They thought Jesus was a way maybe to make money or save money. There were people who followed Jesus simply for the show. Here's a man who can do miracles. They just wanted to catch a glimpse of him as if he was a, a traveling circus performer. Perhaps there are people like that here today. There are certainly plenty in our world. Plenty who claim to be part of the Church of Christ but who are only in it for money and power and fame. The so-called prosperity gospel, well it's no gospel at all. And it dangerously rips across parts of Africa and Asia and South America and North America. And it's here in our country. And it's beamed into our television sets. And we must be on guard against it. With his response to Peter's confession in chapter 8, which we read earlier, Jesus shows us what it means to be a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. Verse 34 of chapter 8. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What a challenge. To lose your life. To give your life away for the sake of Christ. This is the turning point of the whole book. We've reached the peak of the mountain. Peter has confessed Jesus to be the Christ. But Peter still doesn't really understand what it means that Jesus is the Christ. He doesn't know what kind of Christ Jesus is. And so Jesus turns towards Jerusalem. And he wants to show the disciples and he wants to show you today what kind of Christ he is. He's a Christ who must suffer and die. He must suffer and die for his people. He's a Christ who gives away his own life for the good of others. And the challenge to you today, and, and as we work through the rest of this gospel uh, over the coming year, what are you going to do about it? Who do you say Jesus is? If you confess him as Christ, well then you have to take up your cross. You must be willing to do that. You must deny yourself and follow him. 
No matter what else. Following Christ means losing your life for the sake of the gospel. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I really hope you're challenged by that today. I'm challenged by that. Are we here to be like the Pharisees? To be seen? To try and justify ourselves with our outward appearance? Are we here to be like the crowds to see what we can get from Jesus because it makes us feel good? Or are we here to be followers of Christ? To give up our lives for his sake. To gain the, the whole world in place of our own soul. To give our lives in service to him. To worship him as the Christ, the son of God. And to receive from him new everlasting life. Forgiveness day after day. Friends, at the start of this new year, can I encourage you to take a moment to ask yourself, who do you say Jesus is? And then, no matter what 2022 will throw at us, live it out by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Let me pray for us. (laughs) 